0: Good morning again. Welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. I will take issue with one of Rick's claims, and that is this. Kirk Herbstreit is not the face of college football or the voice of college football. Lee Corso is the face and voice of college football. So he Kirk is riding on Lee's coattails, but that's neither here nor there. Now it's that time again, as Joshua mentioned. It is a holiday weekend at Prairie View Christian church. And if you've been here for long, you know what that means. It means that we'll take a morning to explore a book of the Bible or maybe a topic that often gets overlooked. And we've recently done this with books like Philemon, Esther, Ruth, and Ezra. But today's book might win the prize of the most avoided, neglected, and discomforting of them all. Because today's sermon is all about, brace yourselves, the Song of Solomon. So open your Bibles to the Song of Solomon. If you don't know where it is, it is after Psalms, but before Isaiah. So those are the two biggest books closest to Song of Solomon. So after Psalms, but before Isaiah, feel free to follow along as we go. You can use the Bibles we have here if you didn't bring one But before we go further, let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together to gather for worship. Uh, Lord, I pray that today would be good for us and honoring to you. I pray that you would comfort us and challenge us and encourage us and remind us in all the ways that we need to be. And I pray that we would glorify you with what we say and with what we do. And thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for the study we got to do the past eight weeks in the book of Joshua and looking forward next week to starting the Gospel of John. Uh, but today, help us focus on the Song of Solomon. Uh, help us learn why it is that this book is here and what it is that we can learn from it and what good can come out of it in terms of our understanding of you, our understanding of ourselves, our understanding of our world. Lord, again, thank you for those who are here. Uh, we ask that you watch over those who are not here, those who are traveling, those who are under the weather. Uh, Lord, I pray that whether people are here in the room or watching online, that our worship would be honoring to you. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who died and lived and rose and ascended and one day will return. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, why is Song of Solomon so overlooked? Well, first, it's confusing. It's that simple. It's confusing. A well-known rabbi named Saadia once wrote, The book resembles locks to which the keys have been lost. Locks to which the keys have been lost. There's debate about who wrote it. How many characters are in the story? Whether it should be structured as a story at all? And of course, what it means. There's even disagreement about what to call it. Some people say Song of Solomon and others say Song of Songs. But that being said, amidst all the confusion of the book, most will acknowledge that it does belong in the Bible However, in the words of scholar Trimper Longman, those of us who believe that the whole Bible is relevant to modern church and society, which includes me and includes Zach and includes our elders, and includes the leadership of this church, and hopefully includes all who'd call this church home as well. Those of us who believe that the whole Bible is relevant to modern church and society would conclude that the battle is only half won if, when the text's true nature is recognized, it is then not used. In other words, we can't say that the Song of Solomon belongs in the Bible and then proceed to ignore it just because it's confusing. So first, we avoid Song of Solomon because it's confusing. But second, and maybe most significantly, this book is often overlooked because it makes us uncomfortable. Now, why is that? Chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. The woman of the Song of Solomon speaking. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. Okay, just puppy love, right? Chapter four, starting in verse one, the man speaking. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. That one gets Olivia every time. (laughs) Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins, and not one among them has lost its young. Your lips are like a scarlet thread, and your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. Your neck is like the Tower of David built in rows of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Probably referring to earrings, in case you're curious. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies. Okay. Okay. Now we're getting a little more intense. Chapter 7, starting in verse 1. How beautiful are your feet in sandals, O noble daughter! Your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master hand. Your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. Your belly is a heap of wheat encircled with lilies. So why does this book make us uncomfortable? Well, you just saw why. Because it speaks frankly about love, romance, and yes, sex. And you're not supposed to talk about that stuff in church, are you? Another rabbi named Aqaba once warned that if someone sings the Song of Songs in a banquet hall and so treats it as a sort of ditty, they will not participate in the life to come. Apparently people were having a little too much fun with the Song of Solomon. The church father, Jerome, once counseled a young woman named Paula to make this the last book of the Bible that she read. Some have even argued that a man should not be allowed to read Song of Solomon until he was at least 30 years old. That's why Zach is in one of the classrooms right now. (laughs) So there are two big reasons Song of Solomon is often avoided. But those two big things, both the confusion of it and the discomfort with it, have also contributed to some extremely creative interpretations of it. For much of the history of the church, people read the Song of Solomon as one big allegory because they were so uncomfortable talking about the primary subject matter, love, romance, and sex, in polite company, people would bend over backwards to make it about something, anything else. So some argue that the book was really about the Lord's love for Israel. Some said it was really about Christ's love for the church. Others claim that it was really about God's love for individual believers. One of the most interesting and perhaps amusing examples of this comes from Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 13. We read in that passage, My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh that lies between my breasts. Some well-meaning Christians propose that, you see, the necklace represents Jesus, and the breasts represent the Old Testament and the New Testament. Seems like a bit of a stretch, doesn't it? But even among those who are willing to acknowledge what this book is actually about, there's still a level of confusion about how to rightly understand it. I mean, think about it. Is Solomon really the right guy to give advice on love, romance, and sex? After all, isn't this the same man who had 700 wives and 300 concubines and whose heart turned away from the Lord due to his womanizing ways? Other people wonder if Solomon is even all that involved in the story. Is he the man who speaks throughout much of the book? Or is he just a supporting character who pops up now and then? The debate rages on. So if you put it all together, you may see why it's easier to sidestep the Song of Solomon entirely. Only when readers went to unhealthy extremes did it ever become popular. We've already seen the one bad extreme of thinking that it was not at all about love, romance, and sex when it clearly is. This was common in medieval times when more commentaries were written about the Song of Solomon than any other book of the Bible. A man named Bernard of Clairvaux managed to write 86 sermons out of just the first two chapters. Chill out, Bernard. But then to the other extreme, in our modern day and age... Song of Solomon has sometimes been treated as a sort of biblical love manual, often in some pretty vulgar and tasteless ways. That's a bad extreme too. So if there's so much potential to misuse this book, isn't it just better to pretend that it isn't there? Ignorance is bliss. You can't misunderstand or abuse the Song of Solomon if you never read it, right? But here's the thing. We as Christians, people who believe that all of Scripture is inspired by God, we ought to try and understand why this book is here and discover what value can come from reading it. So that's what we're trying to do this morning. So what good might come out of us reading the Song of Solomon? Well, first, the Song of Solomon affirms the beauty and the goodness of God's design for love between a man and a woman. You certainly can't read this book and then claim that the Bible is cold, oppressive, and closed off to romance. Song of Solomon is essentially love letters between a man and a woman. It explicitly celebrates the physical bodies of both of them and revels in the joy of them expressing love for each other through their bodies and with their bodies. That happens in other places in the Bible as well. In Genesis 2.23, Adam celebrates when he sees Eve for the first time. He calls her bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. In Deuteronomy 24, verse 5, newly married Israelite men were exempt from serving in the military for one year. That way they could enjoy the honeymoon period with their wife. God's law recognized the importance of intimacy between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. And in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul commends Christians who choose to remain single for the sake of serving Christ, while also encouraging Christian spouses to honor Christ with their marriages. And that includes in the bedroom. So the Bible presents love, romance, and sex between a man and a woman as a good gift of God's grace. A wonderful part of God's good design for humanity's flourishing. And when practiced within the healthy boundaries that God has laid down, namely the covenant of marriage, love, romance, and sex should be celebrated by God's people. Not treated as some awkward, uncomfortable, or unmentionable topic. So that's one good reason to read the Song of Solomon. Here's another one. Song of Solomon gives us helpful wisdom concerning how love, romance, and sex, as good as they are, can also be corrupted in a fallen world. There's a regular refrain that occurs throughout Song of Solomon. The first occurrence is in chapter 2, verse 7. She says, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Many have not been quite sure what exactly that verse means, but it gets at the idea that love is not to be handled flippantly. That is a necessary corrective to the sheep Cheap, shallow, and ultimately harmful hookup culture of our day and age. In chapter 5, there is a tense scene when the young woman is abused by watchmen under the cover of night. They essentially commit sexual assault against her, if not more. The Me Too movement of recent years has rightly exposed the persistent problem of sexual abuse, especially against women. scripture speaks to that. Song of Solomon speaks to that. And this all goes well with some of the warnings in the book of Proverbs that Joshua read earlier. Solomon also wrote that book. And in chapter 5, a man teaches his son just how destructive sinful passions, lust, and adultery can be. So Song of Solomon celebrates the beauty of love, romance, and sex within God's design for human flourishing. And that's a good thing. But it also cautions us against abusing this good gift of God in wicked ways. And we need both of those reminders. In Genesis chapter 2 verse 25. Before Adam and Eve fall to Satan's temptations and bring sin into the world, they stand before each other naked and unashamed. But then in Genesis 3, verse 7, immediately after the fall, Adam and Eve feel the need to cover up. Sin has somehow warped their understanding of love romance, and sex. And that continues to this very day. Whether we like it or not, we are regularly bombarded with messages about love, romance, and sex. The messages sent to us in commercials, sitcoms, news stories, politics, and who knows where else are all trying to make us believe something. And that something usually serves someone's agenda or pads someone's wallet. And newsflash. Many, if not most, of those messages are unhelpful at best and directly contradict God's word at worst. Studies have shown that on average, a boy is first exposed to pornography at the age of 11. Whether we like it or not, we are all learning about love, romance, and sex from someone somewhere. And if that's the case, then shouldn't God's Word be the best place for God's people to start? If we let the world educate us on these things more than the Bible, then we are setting ourselves up for failure, despair, And worst of all, sin. So we can read the Song of Solomon in that endeavor. Now, the church and individual Christians have often been criticized for our views on love, romance, and sex. The early Romans found it odd that Christians shared their meals, but not their wives. That's a quote from an early Roman letter from someone observing the Christians. These people share their meals, but not their wives. They thought it was bizarre. It's nothing new for our understanding and our practice of these things to seem strange to the world around us. And fast forward to today. Churches and Christians are often criticized as outdated, oppressive or even hateful if we don't go along with the latest, greatest, supposed progress of sexual freedom, though those things are really just knockoffs of the good gift that God has given us. So it is just as important as ever for Christians to know what scripture teaches about humanity, To know what scripture teaches about God's design for our world and for our flourishing. And Song of Solomon can help play a role in that. Commentator Dwayne Garrett writes, The message of this book is that the mutual pleasures of love are good and possible even in this fallen world. It is a testimony to the grace of God. And a rejection of both asceticism, in other words, being way too stuffy about this stuff, and debauchery, being way too obsessed and liberated with this stuff. Trimper Longman writes again, If the church tends to understand sex and even human love as taboo, which we shouldn't, by the way, we've talked about that, then society at large in our time treats sex as an idol. To many, a life without sex is a life that is not worth living. And not just sex, but sexuality without constraints. But Song of Solomon reminds us of both the danger and the power of sexuality. Sexuality. To make sex the center of one's life is to devote oneself to a capricious and dangerous God. Love and sex have important roles in our lives, but they should always be subordinate to our devotion to God. Love and sex are not the final answers to life's troubles or meaning. Well, we gave them a little bit of grief earlier. It's worth mentioning that though some Christians may have tried too hard to make Song of Solomon not about love and romance and sex, they may not have been entirely wrong either. There are places in the Old Testament where God's love for Israel is described in romantic terms. For example, Isaiah chapter 62, starting in verse 3, God says of Jerusalem, Of Israel. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, My delight is in her, and your land married, for the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, So shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. There are also places in the New Testament where Christ's love for the church is described like a marriage. Most famously, Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Because we are members of his body. And here the Apostle Paul quotes Genesis, which we've mentioned a few times. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So maybe it's not far-fetched after all to think of God's love for his people when we read the celebration of love that is Song of Solomon. If you look at the end of the Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verses 6 and 7, we read this. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave, its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. That's one of the most powerful passages of the entire book. And interestingly, it's the only time that God's name is explicitly mentioned in the entire book. Love really is stronger than death. But we see that not most clearly when we think of the love between a man and a woman. But when we think of the love that God has shown for us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's no wonder then that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 8 that love never fails. He adds in Romans 8, 38 and 39 that nothing in all of creation, not even death, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So Song of Solomon is a book about human love. Contained within a much larger book about God's love. Written to a world that is looking for love in all the wrong places. So may we as God's people embrace this book for what it does. It affirms the beauty of love Romance and sex according to God's good design. And may we also embrace it for the other thing it does. It warns us of how sin can corrupt these things. And at the end of the day, if we want to find the kind of love that truly is stronger than death, may we look to the book's ultimate author, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. The God of the crucified and resurrected Jesus Christ. The God who so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The God who has graciously set the seal of his love upon all who believe in his son. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Look to the book of Song of Solomon as a book about love. Love for one another, but also God's love for us. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to be in your word. As we often say on these holiday weekends, thank you for the gift of your word, the parts that we know well, the parts that we don't. The parts that we turn to quite naturally and the parts that we tend to avoid. Lord, thank you that all of your word is inspired and is useful and is beneficial for us as your people. And Lord, I pray that we would take the celebration of Song of Solomon and embrace it. And thank you for the good gift of love and romance and sex that you've given us for our flourishing. But Lord, at the same time, help us. Avoid the pitfalls of it. Like everything else in this world that you've given us, the good gifts of love and romance and sex can be corrupted and warped and tainted by sin. And so, Lord, help us heed those warnings and use the gifts that you've given us in the way that you've intended it so that we might flourish and so that you might be glorified. And thank you that your love for sinners... The love that is shown in the cross, the love that is shown in the gospel is stronger than death. Thank you that you have set your seal upon us by your grace. That even though we deserve to be divorced from you, we deserve to be away from your presence. You have reconciled us to yourself through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you that your love for us is that great. And I pray that as we see and know and understand the love that you have for us, that that would shape the love that we have for each other. Lord, again, thank you for your word. Thank you for the good gifts of your grace. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your spirit. We love you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.